creative journey It's easy to get lost But don't worry, you'll lift off Sometimes you just need A creative pep talk Hey, you're listening to the Creative Pep Talk Podcast. I am your host, Andy J. Pizza. Today on the show, uh, things are going to be a little bit different. We have an episode we are re-airing from a few years back. It was our first episode with Ade Hogue. If you don't know, Ade was a phenomenal lettering artist and designer who we tragically lost in October. And I wanted to re-air the first time he was on the show for two reasons. You know, the first one was to honor him and, and give him a moment on the show because he was a two-time guest on the show. He was one of our co-loop artists um, and we love him. And also a lot of people wrote in last week saying that hearing his story touched a lot of you and um, I, I just wanted to kind of make some extra space for him in the follow-up episode. And then uh, the second reason that I wanted to share this episode is because when this episode first aired, I got so many notes about how much this resonated with people because Ade had this way of being extremely authentic, open, and real about the ups and downs of being an artist and, you know, the, the emotional side, the financial side. He just wore his heart on his sleeve, and you're going to hear that in this episode, and my hope is it's going to give you some solidarity and, and comfort. And, you know, spoiler alert, after this episode, in the following years, Ade just had just the most amazing career and touched so many lives. His work got to be featured on a on a massive Alaska Airlines airplane. He got to do just um, so many incredible things after this, after taking the leap and believing in his work and, and all that. So I'm excited for you to, to dive back into this episode. I think it's going to be bittersweet and, and really encouraging and powerful. And I just, I'm just excited to, um, to kind of uh, reconnect with this this guy's spirit. And the last thing I'll say, you know, there's no no ads on this episode. There's no sponsors. It's a gift to all of you. Originally, we had scheduled this week off for the show, and I thought instead we would just rerun this. So here it is, my first conversation with Ade on Creative Pep Talk. Hey, nice to have you, Ade. I'm th- thanks for being here. Uh, thanks for having me. I'm excited. So I got into your work through Instagram. I don't really remember how it happened, but I fell hard. There's high levels of craft and excellence, and I was way into it. And so I'm glad to have you on the show. Could you just give the creative pep talk listeners a little bit of background about who you are and what you do? Oh, man. Uh, so I am a Chicago-based lettering artist, art director, and designer. I'm originally from North Carolina slash Virginia, so those places definitely have my heart and probably a little bit of my voice slash accent. Uh, it's right. going away yeah. as I stay here a little longer. But um, I'm sure when you go back, you slip right into it. Oh, very much so. Like a lot of my family members have pretty thick accents and friends too. And when I call them, like I can pick them up immediately, like, like the sound of those. Uh, and I easily slip right back into into old habits. <laughs> and your uh, your Chicago friends probably look at you weird, like what? What's going on? Yeah. What's that? What is that? There's a words that I say that people can like around here that just sound too southern. Like there's no there's no equivalent for it in Midwest slang. 
<laughs> yeah, there's a lot of that. Yeah, I get it. My wife is British, and so if like her family or friends will hear her on like a internet video or something, they'll be like, "You have an American accent." And then if she, as soon as she, which no one here thinks that, but as soon as she gets on the phone, I can like barely understand what she's saying. She goes so she has like a northern uh, British accent, which is like kind of like the most extreme British yeah. accent. So yeah, it's really funny. So. The first question that I have for you is, could you tell us about life pre-design for you, like childhood, family, just what was going on? You can go back even to where you're a kid, like what was life like back then when you think back to it? What was like life growing up for you? Yeah. So uh, I have a probably a slightly more unique background as an artist slash designer. When I was younger, I really had no interest or passion in art. I guess we all probably took some sort of art class in like middle school or elementary school. But by the time I got to high school, I was really focused in a path to be, uh, become an engineer. My dad was an engineer and had been one for decades. And uh, even when I was in co- or my, I think it was my senior year of high school and even freshman year of college, I actually worked in his factory. He's like a computer or mechanical engineer. Can't remember which oh. one. Um, but I worked in his factory, like, and I I love that experience. So I, I had no real desire or no passion for art, and it wasn't until being in college for a while and uh, doing really really poorly in the engineering realm of my college that. I stumbled into some art classes and it kind of snapped or kind of clicked and I fell in love really quickly. All right. Yeah, that is, I mean, that's a pretty different story. One, yeah. one thing that um, comes to mind is in terms of identity, I feel like that's a really bizarre journey. And yeah. if I put myself in your shoes, like I think my whole life I grew up thinking I was just like my mom because she's an artsy one. Um, and my dad's like a businessy dude. And it wasn't until I graduated college and I started getting obsessed with business books and, and marketing and, and strategy that I realized that I was way more like my dad than I ever realized. Yeah. And I wonder if when you went to school and you were struggling as an engineer, I'm, I'm guessing like your whole life you had kind of assumed that you were just like your dad. What, like, was that a tough pill to swallow where you're like, oh, this isn't coming as naturally to me as I thought. Yeah, it was really, that was really hard for me. It wasn't that my parents like forced me to become something that I didn't want to be. Like, I just thought that, that was it for me. So it was weird to find out that, yo, I, I, you're, I'm not good at physics and I'm, I'm not good at these high level Calc 3 classes, you know? Uh, so that was really difficult for me. Uh, and it was also a, a shift in who I was identity wise even before it's this is it's super weird but most uh, a lot of people don't know this especially people who just like know me or follow my work this or, is good stuff so everything you're saying about this is super weird and a lot of people don't know that yeah. both of those things are indicators that i'm leaning in and i'm interested like this is good tape uh, <laughs> but yeah so keep going sorry to interrupt so, yeah, that um my first name is Broderick, uh, and I went by Broderick my entire life. And it wasn't until I got to college and this weird little identity crisis for switching my major from engineering to art, where I changed kind of, my middle name is Ade, and I just started going by Ade like midway ish through college. It was sort of freshman year, but it really I tried to push it more and more as I was in the middle of college. It didn't really take. Uh, it wasn't until I moved to Chicago where I could because I started kind of a new here. 
So starting here and being able to completely introduce myself as I date. So it even goes to show like it wasn't just the major, but I felt like my whole personality had to like take a new, I was like, oh, like this is not who I am anymore. I'm not even that. I don't we want to be that. I want to be something new, something different. So I kind of changed it, changed it up a little bit. Man. That is so fascinating. It's very much like the the start of a whole different journey and adventure and, and kind of a, a search for a whole, I don't know, new answers or more, a losing of oneself and a journey to find oneself like that is extremely fascinating. I wish that I, I kind of, see, mine's way more lame. I changed my last name from Miller to Pizza. Does not, <laughs> does not have the same effect. It sounds way dumber, but all right, you have a better, a better, more epic version. So when you were in college, like I'm guessing there were like, there was a season of turmoil while you're kind of trying to figure out that transition. Is that accurate? Uh-huh. Yeah, it was, uh, it, the turmoil was mainly just because of my grades. You know, you get into a really bad position in terms of academic standing and you have to figure out how you get out of this. So there's a weird in between kind of semester in there, which I was like kind of just taking whatever classes that I could think of and could find. And I just, like I said, I kind of stumbled into the the art realm and, and started to like it. it was, I was bad at it, but I thought oh, this could be cool. Um, and it led to a unique path for me. And so just, I'm going to just like uh, tap the brakes a little bit because I want to dive into the the, I always feel sinister when I do this, when I'm like, let's stop and talk about the bad parts in more detail. But I just feel like it just helps people to relate to, you know, everybody's got mm-hmm. the harder parts. And like, so when you were in school and you're starting to get bad grades in physics mm-hmm. and your identity is kind of changing your mind, you're questioning kind of the path that you thought you were going to be on. Like, what were the ideas with the negative emotions? Like, do you have a story of like failing a test and what you were feeling and, and how, what you thought your parents were going to feel or anything like that? Does that well, make sense? Yeah. Uh, spoiler, I failed a lot of tests, so I don't even know if I can. <laughs> Those were blurred. There is definitely a point. I, it's, so this is really kind of funny. My mom, uh, I, I was in a, a print magazine spread as like a, a new visual artist. And they asked like about my path. And I talked about how I, how I began this career of design and art. And I said that after essentially failing engineering school and my mom, like, I think she called me and was like, I didn't know you failed engineering school. And it was this weird, like, yeah, <laughs> I don't think I showed you guys everything that was happening, but I got yeah. it before it got too bad before they told me I couldn't come anymore. But, um, so after, I think it was after the first full year, I told my parents I didn't kind of want, I really didn't want to do it anymore. And they kind of just told me to stick it out. They, my mom's, their parents have always been supportive, but they kind of wanted me to make sure I just wasn't quitting just to quit. Like make sure that's something you don't want to do. And so I stayed around for a little bit longer. Uh, and I realized, I think I saw the writing on the wall and I, I started making bad grades again. And by the end of that, I think that second, that second semester or the third semester, I think I just stopped going to one of the classes. Like I didn't even take the midterm or the final because uh, I was like, this is pointless. I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to make a bad grade. This is not for me. But yeah, those those uh, those emotions get a little heavy in there because I didn't know what I wanted to do or what I wanted to be. And I felt like I was like kind of wasting away. You know, people talk about quarter life crises and I always joke and said, I think I've had like at least three or four of them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, when you, so when you're having those feelings, like what 
before you had a new path emerge, what, what were the feelings? What were the thoughts? Uh, it was that I wasn't go- I ever really going to be anything. And I, I guess sometimes that still kind of scares me. You know, you, you look at your, wherever your career is right now, you're like, oh, man, maybe I'll never make it. Maybe what is the end goal here? What like all these kind of questions popping in your head? And at that time, they were like the most dire uh, because I, I didn't see a future. I didn't know where I was going to be or what kind of major I would have and how I was going to get there. So, uh, yeah, at that time, it was really, it was a weird time for me. I had to just kind of struggle through it. Um, take, like I said, take some classes and just have a little fun. I kind of went to, went back to the college experience, right? Just have fun, make friends, uh, take some classes, see what's, what, what's out there that you love. And then you can find what you love sooner or later and stick to it. Yeah. Can you tell me the story of how the design path emerged and how that kind of called you onto a different path? Yeah, this is, it was, it was weird. I just, like I said, I went, I took some classes, some art classes and random classes in general, but kind of stumbled into drawing early in, in the, the design program at my school. And in the midst of this, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to really do. And somewhere along the way, I decided I wanted to design clothes, be a fashion designer. So I started like sketching clothes, like things, it was like all men's apparel and it was really nothing. It was like t-shirts and just like <laughs> design pieces, no, no like crazy cool garments, um, right. just pieces of design on it. And then I remember very vividly like trying to design a logo. I went out and bought like a Mac cause I was like, yo, like in order to be creative, you have to have an iMac, right? So I did it. I went out and like, <laughs> you bought the whole, you bought the, the story around. <laughs> around I didn't actually earn it. But uh, I started designing a logo and I I realized in that process that designing the logo was a hell of a lot of fun for me. So uh, I realized I started looking more into like a graphic design background um, and career path. And it seemed super interesting in in the art realm. And that immediately led me to start taking graphic design classes and declare a major in, in graphic design. What started, what was the, uh, can you remember what the catalyst was to start doing the fashion drawings? Uh, I just like, I mean, to this day, I like clothes, but back then I used to wear like a lot of really gra- graphic, not graphic in the sense of like disturbing, but like graphic. <laughs> uh, yeah. You wore a lot of like shirts with mutilated bodies on them and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. <laughs> Printed advisory, uh, shirts. Yeah. Uh, I just like what, what were the brands? What was what was doing it for you? <laughs> uh, it was Echo. Was my ma- like I used to wear Echo clothes, like ECKO. Yeah, it was my job. I used to have like matching shirts and jeans, like pattern would go from one to the other. It was a little over the top. I probably went. <laughs> I'm kind of face <laughs> behind me. I felt like they were pretty cool back in the day. I remember like in high school thinking they they were really cool, and they had like I mean maybe mine was like partially influenced by my nerd, um, but. They had like a collaboration with X Men, I think. Okay, uh, which was like a special series that had like Marvel characters. Trust me, I know you think I don't know what I'm talking about because because I didn't wear it, but I remember seeing these pants and they they didn't they didn't have much going on, but they did have like a Wolverine thing. I'm gonna send you a link so you know <laughs> that I know what I'm talking about. Here, I but might pick one up just for all time's sake. Yeah. <laughs> So, so, okay. So you would, you would always been into that since you were, you know, even younger and you, what made you think I'll start designing my own? Uh, I don't know. I think it was just that I didn't know what the hell I wanted to do. <laughs> right. This yeah. seems like fun. I like wearing clothes. Clothes can make you money. Here you go. Let's try it. I don't know. Really, I- there was some kind of self-reflection of like, 
I seem to be interested in this. Correct. Like this is a thing that's different to, about me than other people. Yes. Yes. <laughs> right. That makes sense. And so you went to go make a logo. And then after that, you, you were like, man, you're just following the, you know, the excitement and the, and the passion and the, the natural inclination so that you did the logo and then you thought, I better take a design class. Is that yeah, right? I mean, to the early parts of, of our design curriculum, which then after that, that's when I was immediately hooked. Like, I mean, after taking the drawing class, I was really starting to like it. And then after like getting more to the design realm of, of our curriculum, that's when I really had fun. Mm, yeah. So then when you were in that time and you're like in the early days, were there, people that helped you along um i mean of course like professors and things like that helped me yeah. get them out um i still have a really really good relationship with a lot of my professors um there's a couple from my school that were art teachers and i still go see like when i come back to charlotte which is where i went to school i always go visit them or try to like sneak in their classes in the middle of the day uh and then a couple of my design professors i still like every time i go back i talk to them so uh yeah they were super supportive uh they were hard on me i was a, a bit of a lazy student in a lot of aspects so uh, it was definitely a push that i need i'm sure I what like, they didn't necessarily love me when i was in their class but it's <laughs> like that they like when I come back to town, like I go to dinner with my professors, like we'll go out and have food. Uh, and a, or, yeah. So like that means a lot to me. Like, I, I guess I, <laughs> I wasn't that bad, you know? <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> well, it seems like, I mean, that now can, I mean, what, what changed about, I mean, maybe nothing changed, but it seems like you've got a lot of fire and ambition. Was that not present then? No, I think it, the problem was it was just as present, but I, I guess I saw it in a very real world view of things, right? So I did the same thing. I, yeah, I know what you're saying. It was like school. It was school. I know that school is school and I need the stakes to, feel low. Yeah, I gotta okay, yeah, I gotta do this assignment. But hey, of a freelance if somebody wants to do some freelance work and I, I, I they wanna pay me money for it, yo, I should go make that money. And school, like eh, yes. I'll, I'll make a B or a C on Simon. I'll turn in a little late if, it, if like that's the the price for me doing something that's real in the real world. Uh, so it's I guess like I the just scrimmage and not the game. And you're yeah. like, yeah, this doesn't really count. Yeah, this, I always felt that way. I can be playing somewhere else. I can be playing this other league. So I went shot playing this other league. So I think that sometimes that got me in trouble. It's an interesting dynamic. Uh, it's weird now because I I it's funny because I teach a class at, like an undergraduate class. And it's weird to teach something and like, oh, I get it. Grades don't really matter that much. As long as you take yeah. the lessons out of the, like, what are your teachers trying to teach you? And I, I picked those up. I know what they were trying to teach me. And I know what they taught me. I have a, a, like a solid understanding of design and, and the creative process. Uh, but I didn't mm. necessarily want to do every homework piece. It's one of my, um, the, one of my professors, his name is Bobby, taught communication design. So I had him like, our design program was small. Um, there's like 10 to 12 students in there for the most part from one of oh, in my graduating class, I should say. So in one of our classes, we had multiple with them, but one of our late level design classes where our assignment was to rebrand, a, uh, do a package design, a rebrand of whatever company. So I chose a beer right. company. I redid the logo. I like spent this, like, this process of me like developing the, the logo and I um, designed the, the bottles and the carrier they were in. And because I was into to printmaking at the time too in college, I, we screen printed the graphics on everything. And then we were supposed to be yeah. an advertisement, like a little one page, eight by 10 advertisement. And I just didn't do the advertisement. 
Like I just I got a zero in the advertisement. And I'm like, that's the project. And I was like, I just don't like doing this ad thing. I just didn't do it. And to this day, he still gives me crap about it. He's like, yeah, that ad, that ad you never turned in. I was like, look, Bobby, I'm, one day I'm going to surprise you. I'm going to design this thing and I'm going to do it. Knock it out of the park. Yeah. Anyway, I just didn't want to do it. Uh, it wasn't important to me. So uh, yeah, the passion is still there. Like it, it was very siloed at times, I think. Yeah. I'm, I'm guessing everybody, I mean, everybody that goes through school doesn't end up where you are now. Do you think that, and even the, the early jobs you had, like, do you think there was anything in your school experience, either something professors passed on to you or something you picked up or whatever? Like, what did you gain in that season of your life that ended up contributing to where you are now? Oh, yeah. Did you learn any lessons, any, any I don't know, takeaways? Like, Yeah, for sure. Uh, I was I was back at my school, my alma mater, earlier this year, and I received like a an award from the the College of Arts and Architecture for cool. and it was funny. I talked about I talked about one of my professors and one like the very specific things that he said in class all the time, and I said it to the crowd. And it's just I, there's very specific, tiny little things that I remember verbatim. But I think the thing that I really learned was to to appreciate the process, especially when it comes to creating things. It don't always happen fast and it doesn't happen the same you kind of just have to roll with it uh and then just like appreciating good design work uh i think the for me the most important step is understanding what looks good and why it looks good not necessarily being able to create it if you know what looks good and why it looks good then sooner or later you can like build a path to to create that yourself Mm, yeah so like so was the thing that you shared was to enjoy the the process Mm -hmm. That was the thing. And so what does that look like? Do, like, do you, is that a thing you think about actively when you're even working on client stuff or like, do, does this, is this something that you remind yourself of now? Yeah. Um, you know, I don't think that I actively remind myself of it. I think that I, I genuinely do have fun with the process. You just have internalized it and it's just something you do. Yeah. And it, it, I talk to people all the time about it and it's, it's like even when I'm doing something, I could be doing I'd be doing a cool project or a cool shoot, and the whole time, like I've, I love Insta stories, Instagram stories. I'm like in, yeah. I always like make sure to take time to like share little uh, uh, previews of it or share little snaps of, of whatever it is that I'm doing, and I think that is me truly enjoying the process. And I like sharing mm-hmm. my and every time that I fuck up and like all of that stuff. I make sure that everyone sees it, and I think that is enjoying the process. Yes, that's so good. And actually, this is something that's been on my mind a lot lately, that one of the things that's been holding me back as I get busier is not allowing myself to take the time, which is what you just said. And it's sounds maybe maybe it sounds obvious to some people, but I realized recently that my work was suffering because I just wasn't Uh, not just taking the time, like I was taking the time to do one execution. Well, you know, like the bare minimum time, not, and I think, you know, I think that something at the core of creativity is the novelty of like, I'm going to spend extra time doing something for, you know, the, what the delight of it, you know, it's a, it's a, it's almost creativity in a way kind of a base nature feels frivolous to humanity because you can't eat it yeah you know it doesn't give you shelter and i think because of that sometimes the world we live in wants to rush everything 
and it makes it impossible to yeah. get your best creative work yeah. or enjoy it. Does that, you know what I mean? Especially as a freelancer, I feel like every, every assignment I get, every time somebody reaches out to me to do something, it is last minute. It's like, they're like, oh, we need this in a week. And you're like, you know, you realize that this whole process would take me a week. And that's like my, yes. all your approvals. Uh, and so, yeah, sometimes you get the, the process gets chopped down because of things that you can't control. But even in a, in a small way, I think you still have to enjoy it. And there's still the ability to enjoy it. Even when we are stressed on, on a deadline, it's like still shooting those behind the scenes or or taking a step back to actually appreciate whatever it is that you created and those mistakes and every failure that you uh, that you came upon in your process of getting there. Yeah, and I so recently for me, it took like I was just talking to my friend about it, and like I was stressing out about you know certain certain elements of the podcast when I'm doing my monologue episodes. Like there'll be elements of the episode, maybe a five minute segment that has some punchy thing that I'm like, I want it to be right. I want it to feel you know, uh, off the cuff, but also in really heartfelt, but also like have the power of something planned. And he was just like, well, what you got to do is just do like seven takes and know that you're going to do seven takes so that you can just have a good time and not worry about getting it right. And, uh, I, I think this is, I think there's a lesson in there too, to what you're saying of like, this is why you need to fight for good payment. Because you got to be able to, ju- you know, you got to say, look, like it, maybe the execution, ta- maybe the final execution takes me seven hours, but to get to that one, it's going to take me 72 hours or whatever. Yeah, I know. There's a lot of mistakes that happen along the way. And yes, building, building in time to be able to, to make those mistakes on purpose uh, to figure out because you don't know what the hell you're doing. And I, I get hired for projects sometimes. I'm like, I don't really know how I'm going to make something happen out of, out, out of whatever. Uh, so let me figure yes. out, give myself some time to see if I can make some mistakes. <laughs> yeah, man, that's good. I, you know, I need that advice, dude. Um, that's good. So let me ask you this on this path. Do you have you, what, what have, after school, mm-hmm. what are the big obstacles that you have faced? What are your like, darkest moments of like, uh, where you're like, man, I want to give up or I hate this or whatever. Like, what are the things that really have been trials for you if there haven't, have been any? I mean, there's definitely some, there's been some trial trials in terms of like work life. I worked at two different agencies and some contract stuff in between and they just never were right for me. Uh, so I definitely had some of those moments where like, I, oh man, this is too much. I'm, I'm going, I'm in meetings too often. I'm doing this too much. I'm not designing enough. But more recently, it, it's just been like the process of being a freelancer. I was in one of my roughest places uh, last summer in terms of like just dealing with depression and not feeling like I, I've never, I did not fully understand like how serious uh, depression can be. And like, you just can't like, sometimes can't move, can't do anything. Yeah, there's nothing that you want to get out of bed or, or do anything. Luckily for me, I'm, I'm a runner and I keep I stay pretty active in terms of fitness. Uh, I was signed up for a couple of marathons last year, and I, I don't know without having to do those, like having to get up and train, because I knew I would just I would hate myself if I didn't. I wouldn't be able to do it. Like that's what kind of got me out of yeah. bed and kept that process going. Um, but there were some dark times in there when your bank account's at at zeros, and you know you're just trying to make money, yeah. and everybody thinks that you're crushing it. I mean, it's it was weird for me because I had this moment in which I was inside of a magazine that said that I was a, one of the 15 new visual artists under 30. 
And it's like, everyone sees that. And it's like, oh my God, you're amazing. You're doing such great things. And like my bank account is like at zero. I'm like, you guys don't understand. Like yeah. really hard. I'm the definition of a starving, starving artist right now. Um, and so it, yeah. that took some time to, of course, get past that. So And actually, anybody that uh, listens to this podcast knows that the first, uh, I've been doing this uh, I graduated in 2008, so I've been on this journey for about 10 years. The first three years were extremely brutal. Mm-hmm. I had tons of moments, just like you're talking about, you know, overwithdrawn, you know, getting, I had, I, and I had, I had so much audacity. Uh, the first year I had like a bunch of jobs coming in and then we got married, had a baby, got a mortgage, quit my job, went freelance. And then that was like when the recession hit. Mm-hmm. And I had like bill collectors calling me and there were times where I'm like laying face down on the living room floor, which all the creative pep talk people are like, all right, Andy, quit talking about that. We know it was painful. We're feeling your pain because you talk about it so much, but I'm just <laughs> telling you for solidarity, man, like oh, I real. freaking get it. And when you're in that moment, that sucks. It feels like there's no way out. And like, you're, you're just like, there's nothing you can do to change your situation. Uh, it's like you've worked hard for, for nothing up to that point. So it was rough. Yes. And when you're in those moments, what are, what are the voices in your head saying? Like what, what's, what is the battle? Oh, it was for me. I know. By the way, sorry. No, I was just going to say, I know some of these questions are like not normal conversation. And so sometimes I feel like that's a weird question to ask somebody if like we were hanging out for beers. But what I found is like, um, the more, particular we can get like and and just emo- just you know sharing what that experience is like i feel like it's so it's so cathartic for other people to feel it i mean uh and understand what that journey is like you know what i mean yeah for me the voices were like telling me yo go get a job you can't do this you'll never survive with this this is like too hard for you uh and it took a long yes. time for me to, to to tell myself i was tough enough for it. I am also the, the person who a lot of people love the idea of freelancing and work, working for themselves. I am not necessarily that person. While I do really enjoy yeah. freelancing, I do really enjoy free, freelancing. And I'm, I'm also not sure if I can ever really go back to a full-time, like, everyday job. It makes you almost unemployable when you do it too long, I feel yeah. like. <laughs> I'm not, I've never really been the person that said, like, oh, freelancing is what I want to do the rest of my life. I just, at, uh, at the time, had to figure out how I could better advance my career and start spending more time with letters and drawing letters and freelancing just seemed to be the best avenue. So at the time when I was like struggling with it, it was like, yo, just go get a job. Maybe this is not for you. So it was like my recomm like me recommitting to, Oh, I'm going to stick this out and like, let's see what happens. Uh, let's see if it continues to be fun. The moment is no longer fun for sure. Uh, then I'll go back to a real time, a real full-time job. Um, but as long as I'm having fun and, and I'm doing okay and I can, at least afford my my own apartment, then I'll continue doing this. Yeah. And the uh, did that timing of everything sour the experience of being in, in the top 15? Uh, I, I don't remember exactly what was the it's, it was the print magazine thing, right? Yeah, it, it really did. It was it was weird to have people think that you're just the shit and you don't feel like it at all and it's not even in your head it's in your it's everything is telling you yo you don't have this you're not doing it uh, you're not making money so clearly you're not doing a good job at this uh so that was a- it kind of i'm sure i had those moments of feeling like an imposter like 
oh, you know, I have a great client, but also, you know, the gas man's calling me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And so how did you, you know what, there's like all kinds of uh, things that that does to you, that experience, when you're at that place and you decide to stick it out, what are the things that you do to, to stay motivated and also to change your circumstance? What, 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 how did you get from there to here? Uh, yeah, I think at that time I was still exploring, still experimenting slash exploring this whole like creating type out of real things, like this tactile, tactile type thing. Um, and I just started yeah. more of those and I started doing more just for fun um, because at the time I wasn't doing a lot of client work. So I was like, well, if I'm not going to get paid for doing nothing, I might as well not get paid for doing something I love. So I might as well just create some fun pieces and have a little, like, make this more enjoyable for myself to go down swinging, right? Like, if, if I fail at this, at least I fail. Yeah. Giving it my all and trying something cool. I think that, like, because I did more and more of that, then I started leading to more, slightly more opportunities and uh, chances to do stuff, which felt super rewarding. It's those personal products that lead to the cool client stuff. One other question about that. When you're, when you're feeling like crap and feeling like wanting to give up, how do you go from that feeling to I know I, rem, I remember being in that exact spot yeah. and thinking probably what I should do is make work anyway but the the gap between feeling like you suck and for or whatever like it's not working or you're failing or whatever the gap between that and making creative work which you know has to come from passion and mo- motivation or something you know how how do you bridge that gap where there were there people in your life you were talking to? Were there, you know, resources? Like, did you just give yourself a pep talk? What what things got you from point A to point B? Yeah, definitely had people I talked to and friends and uh, people that were close to me that you could, like, let everything go. But also, I don't do a lot of it anymore, but I, I used to blog, like, write on my, on my personal journal on my website a fair amount. Uh, I would even write blog posts out. I never, I have, like, dozens of them that I never actually posted or went live. Uh, but I would just write things out and I, like, also, just have like spend some time uh, with yourself, and and if you need to cry, cry. It's okay. It's like it's whatever. Um, but a big part of that was I began to start meditating a little bit and like uh, practice. Um, uh, damn it, what's it called? Uh, I'm blanking right now. Um, it's not like self ah, I can't even remember. Whatever. Uh, but I started using this app called Headspace. Was it, uh, was it mindfulness? Mindfulness. Our- Sorry, I don't know why I was blanking. Yeah. Wasn't being very mindful. Uh, but <laughs> get in the moment. The thing that mindfulness kind of helped instill with me is to like enjoy whatever it is that's happening right now. Like some things you can't control. Some things are just out of your power. You know, you can you can help people all day to get your payment or whatever. But if they say it's in the mail and you email them ten times, like maybe you just have to trust that that check shows up that next day. And you can't stress about it today. Yeah. You can't let that ruin your day today. You can only hope that it makes tomorrow better. Like if that check does come or whatever, mm. that new project does come or that phone call does come, that you whatever it was that you needed. So uh, those things really helped me. And then, like I said, the the running of the marathons too were good because that made me get out of bed every day. Um, and I'm kind of big on routine. So it just helped me to have a very steady routine. You know, get up, go run, and then go to, go to your office and sit there. And even when you're you're at your office and you don't have anything to do, you'll find something to do. You'll find something worthwhile at least. So, Yeah, that's really good. I think both of those tips for people that are starting out and trying to make it get some momentum, like 
having routines that get you jazzed, like exercise that gives those endorphins pumping, and then also having a a, a set apart space for making and forcing yourself to spend some time in that space. Like those are both things that are ingredients. The sleep, which is not going to help you do anything. It's not going to help you get anywhere. So you have to just get up and 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 be present, be there. Because, I mean, everyone, yeah. it's a, a quote, like 90% of whatever is just showing up, right? You just got to be there. Like, just go go to your yes. office and try to make something. Because uh, after, if you sit there in your office for two, three hours, you're going to get bored enough that you want to create something. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And I, I'm going to channel my uh, NPR Terry Gross okay, uh, interviewer <laughs> and just circle back to you saying, you know, if you need to cry, cry. And I have, sh- I have been... I've been basically an open book about my serious ups and downs. And I don't mean to like, I guess I don't mean to out you as a crier, but, but one of the things I'd say all the time, you know, I said this last week on the show is like, for me, this journey has had real bumps and bruises, real tears. There've been times, you know, where things didn't go right. Like a project that I needed to come in, didn't come in or, you know, whatever, you know, and this is my life, real stuff. And I, there have been a, a, at least a handful of times where I had real cry sessions. Yeah. Where, like, have you had real blood, sweat and tears on this journey? Oh, yeah. Uh, it's still, it still happened. I mean, literally uh, less than a week ago, it was like nothing even significant or severe. I was just like not feeling right about something in terms of life a little bit and like my career. And like I said, I, I run a fair amount. So I ran over to the lakefront here in Chicago and I just like sat there for like 15 minutes. I, was, I started tearing up and I, I really didn't have any idea, really any concrete idea what I was tearing up about. And I was like, this just feels weird, but it feels good. Uh, I'm glad I did it. And I went mm-hmm. home and I showered and I went to bed and I woke up the next day feeling like much better about my situation. So uh, it was like that, nothing. I man, that, what'd you say? It was just, it was nothing I can control. Like whatever was happening that particular day. So I was like, yo, go ahead, go right. Do the thing that you like to do, which is to run, uh, spend a little time with yourself because sometimes it's hard to do that. And just whatever, whatever emotions that you kind of have, but I'm not, you have, it's all right. Yes. And I think, uh, first of all, thanks for sharing that. And second of all, in contrast, the way I like to think about it is like, there's like the numb boredom frustration of living a life that isn't really in your heart, you know, and that I would trade the frustrated knock down tears. Yeah. I would, I would take those over the numb boredom yeah. of trying to live a life that's not mine any day mm-hmm. of the week. Like it feels good to be in control of whatever it is that you're doing. That doesn't necessarily mean just because you're self-employed, you are in control, or doesn't mean because you are employed that you're not in control. Yeah. You can be in control of whatever at any stage of it, but like feeling like you're in control of whatever you're doing and you're on the path that you want to be on. Like that, so I feels, I think what feels amazing. It doesn't matter if you cry every day along the way, uh, but if, if it feels like you're moving towards the right thing, then it's worth it. Exactly. Like I feel like, you know, the tears to me, I always just feel like, well, at least there's like stakes. Yeah. Like what I'm doing, uh, yeah. how, you know, there's something to lose and I'm fighting and I'm, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Sure. I mean, I have a, I have a, I did a, it was a post I did on Instagram a long time ago 
or not a long time ago, last year sometime. Uh, and it just said like self-care and I ripped that page out and it's like, it sits by my, it's on the wall by my desk. And there's a couple others and like you will see it if like you ever watch my Instagram stories and like I share my, a photo of my desk. Like there's like four little pieces of paper right there. One says like self-care. One says, I think there's some things you can't change. And like another one says like it's okay. And it's like these little reminders that I would just write for myself, but now I just like stick them up and put them there. So like, I'm always looking at them and I always got to remember that like, yo, you got to take care of yourself. If you're going to take care of any client, you got to make sure you feel good before you can do any kind of work that's cool or creative or meaningful. Yeah, completely. That's, that's great. So I want to switch gears a little bit Ooh, that, uh, and talk about therapy right there for a second. <laughs> what did you say? Good. This was like that was like therapy for a second. It was good. It was a good little. <laughs> Ooh, I'm gonna come out of that. <laughs> yeah, let's let's switch gears a little bit and get you know get a little safe zone out of that that uh that little valley. But you know, it's not it's not good tape without a little bit of that oh, that emotion <laughs> happening. I, it feels like you or you're going on this journey. You you get a job. You're doing all this stuff, and it seems like lettering is kind of like a sword in the stone moment, if you will. I use a lot of like <laughs> hero's journey fantasy lingo on this podcast. So, <laughs> you know, uh, so just roll with it. But it seems like lettering was a bit of like a, oh, like this is a, this is where things maybe take a transcendent level up. Is that true? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I stumbled into this kind of path of lettering uh, and just, was trying to figure out something cool and fun because at the time I was just like not super inspired by my like day-to-day job duties. So it was just like an added thing to do. Uh, and then I remember in the early stages of this and still to this day is when I was doing it, I kind of just lost track of time. I could just spend however long I needed to do it. Uh, and I can experiment as many times as possible. And I could have, I could go through a thousand pieces of tracing paper and it still just felt right. Like I was like, oh, this is still fun. This at no point gets frustrating. I mean, so yes, it was that definitely the moment. Man, I pulled out that sword and stone, ready to to take every, everyone down, lead a new generation. Yes, <laughs> that's amazing, and I, dude. And that's amazing because one of the things I think about a lot was that the big signpost for me that said I'm on the right path. I think a lot of people are. They think the sword and the stone moment, or the the mo, you know, the angels singing, will be the voices of the praise of others saying like, you're a prodigy, you're incredible. But I always say like a better sign isn't the quantity of good feedback Mm -hmm. or it's not the the quality of feedback. It's the quantity of effort that you're willing to give. Like that's the bigger sign. And you just described it's like, can you just like spend insane amounts of time on this happily? Because if you're doing that, you're going to get good. Yeah. And that's the best indicator. Yeah. And, and oh, it's just going to take some time. Um, you have to continue to work at it, to develop it, of course, to make, make yourself better at it. But yeah, it's that it's the moment when you realize that like time doesn't matter or it didn't like going somewhere, go into this place, the friend doesn't matter. I'd rather be doing what I'm doing now. I'd rather be working, which is weird. Or you work a full-time job and you work for eight, 10, 12 hours and you still want to come home and do something else, like to do whatever it is that you're the found that you you're passionate about that you love yes that's totally true and what let me ask you this question this is kind of an esoteric question but (laughs) i'm gonna see if we can uh get somewhere what is good lettering to you and i can elaborate on that question but you feel free to just dive in Uh, uh i think that good lettering is 
just technically sound. It's funny because I have to teach lettering to undergrad. So being able to explain about or talk about lettering and at a high level is important. Um, But for me, it's just understanding what makes each letter that letter, right? Um, The reason why sometimes you look at something and it doesn't feel right, it's just because someone's broken whatever it is that makes that letter that letter. So I think good lettering sticks to whatever makes it correct, but also feels appropriate for whatever its use is. So, you know, if you're doing something that's about, I don't know, if you're doing something about humanity and you use something that feels like it was done by by Germans in World War II, like it, those two, two things don't connect. It's a kind of inspirational pieces that lead to, or that lend themselves to whatever it is that you're creating. So I think those two things, making sure it's correct, making sure that it feels right for the, the right purpose. Yeah, it's correct and appropriate. And so now... I think it's like early part of the journey, aesthetically, it's, you get like really wrapped up in speaking correctly, so to speak, whether you're doing lettering or, mm-hmm. you know, editorial illustration or whatever, you get very entrenched and it's good to get into like speaking correctly, so to speak. But then you, I think it seems like a lot of artists transition from that to, having something to say. So it's not just about the technical speaking, but it's also about what are you going to say with it? And it seems like you're hitting a stride right now where where what you're saying is as important as how you say it. Is that true? Yeah, I would agree. Um, making sure that the, and, the correct things are correct when necessary. But do you feel like there's a message behind your stuff now? Like you're you're in a you. Uh, to me, it seems like if I'm like looking back in your feed and and your progression, and everything. It seems like there was a season where you were really, you know, your early personal project was about technique, yeah. whereas like the last six months or whatever, it seems the focus is less on speaking correctly and more on having something to say, like a message. Yeah, um, I'm a firm believer of using, we all should use our platform for the best possible reasons and use it in positive ways. So it doesn't matter how big your your platform is. It doesn't matter how how far your reach extends or how big your audience is. It doesn't matter if it's uh, 100,000 people or just 100 people. Um, You can still like inspire others and and affect change just through having a voice and yes. about things that you're passionate about. So, I mean, I do posts that are culturally relevant and, you know, with police shootings and whatever, like about who I am as a black person living in America. Like I want to be able to share those experiences too. So I have to, I share mine through lettering. It's like an extra part of who I am, what I do. That's one of the things that is so powerful about lettering is that you can elevate a message yeah. uh, and grab attention and, and put emotion into the letters. And, you know, I think it's, yeah, it's obviously like a really valuable tool. Have you, have you felt powerful in your ability to get messages out there in a way that non letterers can, you know what I mean? Like yeah. people that are, you know, you have a different kind of skill set. Have you felt the power of using it yeah. does that make sense For sure it's like when I, I love when i create something especially when it's like culturally relevant and something like maybe it's something in the news or whatever it is uh and i have lots of people share and comment on it like those that's when i'm like oh this resonates with more people than just myself right like i'm actually saying something good that other people maybe some people are afraid to say it um or can't say it in a way that's effective but like i'm giving i'm giving other people the chance to to know that i that what i'm saying uh, and what I believe, and then if they care to to extend that message, then sometimes they do. Sometimes they share it. Sometimes they create their own pieces. Sometimes you know uh, they find other ways to to say something similar. So that's always a good feeling. That's when you understand the power of like whatever whatever it is that we're creating. 
And it's really interesting too, for me, the more I've seen the power of my personal work, the more confident I am in charging what I'm worth to brands. Cause I'm like, look, I know that because I can make images that are attention grabbing online and that they can have more reach than a text post or whatever, I'm like, you need to pay for this because this is a valuable commodity that yeah. you need. And without me or without people like me, uh-huh. you know, your message isn't going to be heard. Yeah. Definitely more dull if, if, uh, not given to me to be able to say it. Yes. And so you were mentioning, you know, we kind of talked about what makes good lettering, which is kind of about kind of about learning to fit into what it means to be a pro letterer. What do you think it is about your work that stands out that's different? That's, you know, what, how, you know, you've got all the technique of a good letterer and you fit in in that way, but how do you stand out from the rest of the lettering crowd? Wow, man. I, sometimes I don't know. It's something I think I still struggle with. I feel like there are times in which I don't know my own creative voice. I'm like, yo, what is my creative style? What is What am I doing that sets me apart from something else? Uh, but I definitely know a part of it is the, the photographic part of what I'm doing a lot lately. Uh, there's a there's a kind of a yeah. shift in my work over the last like year. And i I've gone from what I call, what I refer to as designing JPEGs to like designing real things. So for a long time, when I was lettering something or doing whatever, any kind of design work, um, I would just do it. And like what I would share on Instagram or on my website was just like an image, like an exported JPEG from a design program. Uh, And I've gotten to the point where now it's like, I want to create something physical. I want to design something. And no matter how cool it is, I will wait, I will make it into something and then share whatever that something is. So like seeing something real, something tangible. And I do a lot of that through photography too. Uh, photography is something I kind of picked up for not too long ago when I was at an agency just doing more photo-based projects. But that led to me like doing the the large-scale top-down pieces out of flowers or out of whatever. Uh, it was a way to like create something physical. Yes, I could have designed something very similar uh, on a design program, but like to make something tangible and to, to photograph it and to edit it was a big part of like who I think I am now. Yes. And actually, I think that's something I encourage uh, a lot of students or, or people that I work with to do is like apply your stuff because it's anybody with a pirated version of Photoshop or Illustrator can export a JPEG or, or a PNG or whatever and upload it onto Instagram. But if you can apply it to real world situations and, and make it look good, you're going to, you know, that barrier to entry is a lot higher and it requires real craftsmanship and and eye for design and i think that it probably it probably allows companies to see the application of your work Mm -hmm. uh really easily Mm -hmm. and those impact those images have to me a much even greater impact they're much more visually stunning generally speaking uh and more attention grabbing and people understand the amount of time it took to create it. Sometimes with the, the digital stuff, it, it always it doesn't always come across as like, oh, this person spent forever doing this, even though like as an artist, I know that they did. Um, but it's like those big things where uh, they're tangible, like, oh, yo, this must have took forever. And like now they, they understand it when they see it. Yeah. And the, uh, the other thing is, I think that one of the things I tell people is like, it's not just aesthetically how you stand out. You, the content of your message and and your perspective in the world, what you choose to do your personal work about 
content wise is as important to standing out as anything else. You know, I, I spent a lot of time and still do a lot of work about dreams. And I do a lot of work about going on journeys. Like a lot, that's like, these are themes in my work. And that when art directors think of me, they like, they'll throw me like, I just got another project about dreams. I've had several, but because it's something that I'm, you know, talking about a lot. And I feel like you have a lot of messages in your lettering that aren't in everybody else's. Mm -hmm. At least I I would hope so. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) All right. Okay. Last thing. Last question is how does where you are now relate back to this is a weird question all right so (laughs) you might be like yeah i don't know what that means so be prepared for that how how does what you're doing now in your life as a designer as a letterer as a creative person relate back to your your childhood or, or your family or you know your your place in your family your place into relationship to what you used to call home like how, how do they see you now? Do you feel like, th- does that question mean anything to you? Uh, yeah, I mean, I think that they probably they see me as, it's it's weird, even though they I didn't necessarily have this background uh, as a creative, grow, like as I was growing up, they probably see that like, yo, you were actually made for this this whole time. Like you were always a little extra, you are probably always a little out there, outgoing. Yeah. like one to be forward facing like i like being in the middle of a crowd like when we're dancing i like to be in the middle of it in the bar right i want to be like at front and center so i think like now it just like this path illuminated everything it gave you like a way to, to that yes. person and i think the previous path probably didn't um and it just allows me to like have a personality have a lot more fun so i think that family and friends probably see that now it probably took them a while like they're like oh this you know i'm now starting to remember things like what he was doing when he was a kid and now it kind of makes sense uh it just wasn't the path that they probably thought it would be at the very beginning like the dots are connecting yeah. in reverse of yeah. like oh yeah now all this stuff makes sense my mom and the other question uh, the follow-up Go ahead. We're gonna uh, say- so my mom has a very like um, specific example that she would uh, always tell me is like when I was a kid, I would, like refused to eat out of a cereal bowl and a spoon that didn't match. Like mine were like comic books or cereal based bowls, right? Like with the characters in it. Like if the character on my spoon didn't match the character on my bowl, I like lost my mind. Or if my mom tried to make me wear like a <laughs> denim jeans and the two denims weren't the same, like I just could not handle it. And I think like that, even that was a part of like now who I, who I am, what I've become. Like, oh, I just, I, I've actually had a taste at that time. And I like knew what, what went together and I like was picky. And if I didn't get my way, then I just like wasn't having it. Uh, and I, I still think that yeah. to this day. The obsessive opinionated designer is runs deep (laughs) that's hilarious and do you this is my follow-up to that which is uh do you ever think about how the engineering path or or part of you even if it's not the whole you how that impacts or makes you different as a designer uh yeah i think that the engineering part of me definitely had like a big part of the technical side of whatever it is that i do so whether that's like in the, the photography realm with like composing a photo and like making sure all my settings and camera and lighting and all that kind of stuff set up um, but a big part of that is in the digitization of type and like with the bezier process i'm like kind of annoying with it 
uh, where like all of my Bezier anchor handles or uh, yeah, handles and anchor points are like at 90 degrees and zero degrees. Like I'm like really weirdly obsessive about things like that. And I just think it's because of my like technical nature of being in engineering school. And like when I was in high school, taking drafting classes and like understanding the technical process. And I've, it just now lends to my work a little bit. And I even see it in my lettering style. I talk about, <laughs> I've talked about it a lot lately just because I have another friend. His name is Kyle Latender. He's a, a, an amazing lettering artist here in Chicago. He like released, he's really good at expressive typography. He teaches it at a school here and he just did like a workshop on it and uh, made a zine for it. And he gave me one of the copies of the zine. And like, it has a lot of tips about how to make lettering more expressive. And I just like my, I cannot physically wrap my, my brain around doing something that's not like rigid and like, all of my lettering, look at them, they almost always go like up to the right and like everything's like a perfect slant and everything's like on a very even baseline. And like in his, in his, uh, uh, zine, he talks about like, oh, oh, just in the baseline, like having a rolling baseline where some letters are below and some are above, uh, to give it a little more character. And I tried it in a piece recently and I just couldn't do it. Like my brain just doesn't work that way. I'm trying to get better at it. That's like yeah. the next step. I'm kind of pushed towards, but it's like that, that rigid sense of being an engineer and like, yo, this is the way it should be, right? Like script is supposed to be at like a slight angle and a lot of times shifted upwards. And so I'm working to break past that a little bit sooner or later. Yeah, that's hilarious. And I, I tell people, you know, think about where you have one eye and the land of the blind of creative people. And it's like maybe in, you know, in the engineering world, you're like, short one eye but in the world of creativity you're like the one-eyed man in the land of of the blind when it comes to order and you know detail and all that stuff and you've definitely like figured out ways of using that to your advantage yeah i see those tiny little weird details and like when i see the other people's letter i'm like oh they did get it or oh they think they, they perfected it they knocked it out and like sometimes those are the most bothersome things when like somebody barely missed it and i'm not saying perfect at it and i get it right every time because i do miss it but a lot of times um but like being able to see it is super important to me Yes, absolutely. And I, uh, I just did an episode about order and chaos. And part of the inspiration for that was that well, I visited Sesame Street and they told me something that I never knew about Jim Henson and, and all the Muppets that all of the Muppets fit in either order or chaos. You're either an order Muppet or a chaos Muppet. Ooh. So you're an order Muppet like Bert or you're a chaos Muppet like Ernie. And uh, I'm definitely a chaos Muppet. And it sounds like you're a bit of an order Muppet. That's that same oh, man, that, uh, man, that I guess that's I guess that's good. I, I, I could be in. Isn't that crazy? Yeah, like, there's there's some chaos. There's some chaotic parts, but yeah, I think overall I'm probably bringing the orders there. I need I need that. Yeah. it comes to letters, I'm like, uh, yeah, it should be like this. And so it, it, it it's cool because it gives me something to try to achieve, like to strive for. Because I'm always trying to create something that feels uh, perfect. You know, of course, perfection is something that we never really achieve something we just continue to work towards uh, but yeah it always gives me that like want to to get there so i continue pushing pieces so they are technically sound or as sound as possible mm, yeah that's uh, don't yeah, do that don't. well uh man what was People that don't do that or they don't care about that and that's fine it's just for me that's what i yeah i have to <laughs> yeah that's the opposite of me when i approach lettering i'm thinking None of those things. That's for sure. Uh, I'm thinking a whole mess of other things. I actually probably am often thinking like, how does this feel human? Like that's the one thing I'm thinking about. Oh, and I would rather, you know, sometimes like 
a bit of scrawled text, like just like handwriting mm-hmm. to me is like, oh man, that's like the tastiest lettering. And I can't always achieve it. I, but, um, I definitely feel like I have a totally different approach. Yeah, I mean, I spend, there's a lettering style that I kind of do sometimes. Uh, I do it a lot in paint where I actually draw the letters from the outside. So it's very like childish bubble letters, but they're not bubble. They're like very rigid lines. Uh, but it, it's great because it, the form is never perfect, right? Like I can't get everything to look uh, exactly like everything else. So it's like my way to mix up stuff. I felt like forever I just like had to prove that I could draw letters technically sound. And like now every now and then I have a project. It's like I just want to draw these weird bubble letters and like have fun. Who cares if this letter, if the two H's look alike or the E is technically sound and I, I just have a little more fun with it. So I let myself go sometimes. Yeah. You have to quiet the the Bert Muppet in your mind a little bit and let Ernie frolic, right? Be Ernie. Be Ernie. That's what I'm going to tell myself from now on. Just be Ernie. <laughs> but uh, you know, don't lose your don't lose your true self, all right? <laughs> the, in the process. Uh, well, hey man, this was fantastic. I had a great time. I can't even believe we've been talking for an yeah, hour. Time flies when you're like on a podcast having fun. Like, <laughs> and you're talking about crying and talking about the Muppets. No, I feel like we've known each other for years, Andy. Like we just this is. Uh... I know, man. We got to hang out. I can't. I'm glad you're coming to Columbus so we can hang, and I'll show you some. We've got. We've got good food right. in Columbus. I mean, you better have good pizza if your last name is pizza. Oh, yeah. Well, I'll definitely, I'll definitely show you this p- <laughs> the pizza spots. There's a place called Mikey's Late Night Diner. They they know is how to like do it. Is that like the sound of that? That's good. Yeah, they got, they got crazy sauces for dipping, and they also do, like, local collaborations. Like, they, they do this collaboration with, like, a Nashville hot chicken place that's local, oh. and – they make the greatest pizza it's got like pickles on it not cooked pickles they add the pickles later don't worry i know you're freaking out for a second (laughs) uh well thanks man i really appreciate it and hopefully we'll hang out soon all right it was great talking to you you too thanks for having me on all right i hope that uh I hope you got a, a little piece of the gift that uh, Ade was to all of us in this episode. We at Co-Loop all really miss you, Ade. We love what you did, and uh, and uh, we just miss you, buddy. If you want to follow along, they're in the process of starting a foundation, nonprofit in Ade's uh, name and honor to support the communities that he was so passionately a part of both black artists and black cyclists um, doing their, they've got a bunch of really great initiatives um, coming together um, that I've kind of been witness to behind the scenes. Go follow along on Instagram so you can stay in the loop and, and support all the things they're doing at Ade Hogue Foundation. It's A-D-E-H-O-G-U-E foundation on instagram yeah they're doing really important stuff hey thanks to everybody for listening and uh thanks ade for uh all the 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 joy and encouragement that you brought while you were on this planet love you man